we have been in a series, and we continue to be in this series, Bought with a Price. And I'm going to read to you our, the scripture. I usually, when I do a series like this, I like to take a, a scripture and just go back to it. I want to keep repeating it in your hearing. Matter of fact, I don't, it seems like in the day that we're living in, people are not committing scripture to memory as much as they used to. But I would encourage you, when we're dealing with subjects that are this important, when we are dealing with, uh, when we are dealing with scriptures that, that are this important, that we would go back to it week after week after week, I would ask that you would try to at least put some of this in your memory. Because when the enemy comes in and tries to tell you these things are not important, Jesus, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, Jesus quoted scripture. If Jesus quotes scripture in defense of temptation, what would, should we be doing? And so I believe in the power of putting scripture to memory. And um, we want our kids to learn it. We adults need to learn it too. And, uh, and it'll keep you young, all right? 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 19 is where I'm going. Now I'm going to read two verses here. The Bible says, What? Question. Don't you know, know ye not, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? This is... The apostle, he is speaking to the church at Corinth. And he is reminding them, since you are a part of the church. Everybody say, I'm the, I'm the church. He says, since you are a part of the church, you need to have this understanding. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? And because of that, ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body outwardly and in your spirit inwardly, which are God's. For you are bought with a price. That is our subject for this series. You are bought with a price. And just let me take a moment and remind you what that price is. That price is that God would be manifest in flesh, justified, uh, seen of angels, received up into glory, that bought with a price is that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The fact that He has purchased us, that He has bought us to Him, it should be enough for everybody under the sound of my voice to want to live a holy life. It should not take anything else for me to convince you of that. That's what the apostle is telling the church. We shouldn't have to get up here and try to uh, tell you all the benefits associated with holiness. Though there are some. We shouldn't have to try to convince you of, of, of the, 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 the accessories, the accruements that are attached to living a life of holiness. All it should take is the knowledge that we have been bought with a price that we could not pay. I couldn't pay it. You couldn't pay it. 
Those lambs that Israel was slaying for years, they could not pay it. But thank God that the spotless lamb of glory came. The Bible said in Revelation that there was one found worthy. When they said, who could open this book? Who is worthy to open this book? There was only one. And it's the same one that bought you and he bought me. And I feel like preaching for just a minute. Time out, I'm going to preach. He knew all of the sins you would, you would commit. He knew all of the mistakes you would make. He knew that you would not be perfect. He knew that there would be issues and, and problems and drama in your life. But he said, I love them anyway. That's my creation. He could have made us perfect. He could have created us to be perfect. But he said, no, I'd rather buy them to me. I'd rather purchase them with my own blood. And so tonight, I say to you, it shouldn't take us anything other than the knowledge that Jesus shed his innocent blood for you and I. We want to live holy. Somebody shout amen. amen. We want to live holy. We have been bought with a price. And so we're focusing on two things. He said, therefore, you're going to glorify God. You're going to show forth the glory of the Lord in your body and in your spirit. Outwardly and inwardly. We are going to do these things. So I'm, I'm doing one last lesson that deals with where we are coming from on this subject of holiness. And then the next lesson I do, I'm going to start getting into all of the nitty-gritty stuff that folks really think they want to hear about. All right? But, but before we do all that, I, I really wish that everybody would make sure that they're getting their spirit right. Well, before you're... Before you get all worked up about having your outward right. And I believe in making sure we have our outward right. So you understand I'm not downplaying that. It takes two sides. A quarter. If, 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 if you take a quarter. Uh, let me. Let's, let's rephrase that. Let's use. Uh, do they still make thousand dollar bills? I know they did. None of us ever see them, do they? <laughs> that was the point of why I wanted to, we'll say a hundred dollar bill, but you know, inflation's going out the roof right now, so things don't mean as much as they used to. And so y'all, hey, in all honesty, and this is not to be political, we do need to pray for our country. We're, hit, we're seeing inflation levels at 30-year highs right now, and so we do need to be in prayer. All right. Matter of fact, can we just stop for a moment? Let's pray for our nation where we're at right now. A lot going on. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for this country. I believe you raised this country up, God. I believe your hand was on us from our inception. I pray, Lord, that you would help us. We're in, we're in difficult and turbulent times, and we're walking through things we don't all understand. I know, though, that you're aware of it all, and I know that you're still Lord of all. And so, God, this evening, I'm praying that you would help us. You would help us to keep our spirits right, but you would help us to not give in to fear and those things. And, God, I am praying for your hand to rest on America. I do pray that you help our leaders. I do pray, God, that you would turn the hearts of, of, of wicked people towards the things that are righteous. 
I do pray, God, that there'd be an awakening in our land. I do pray, Lord, that we would turn our eyes toward you and we would be humbled and we would pray and seek your face. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Along those lines, don't let nobody let me forget about that $100 bill, okay? Along those lines, I also want to stop. We'll, we'll mention this on Sunday, but I'd like to mention it tonight too. Tomorrow is Veterans Day, and we want to honor and celebrate all of our veterans. And uh, I know not everybody's here tonight, but are any, anybody here, I know at least one here is a veteran. Any of our veterans here tonight? Could, could you gentlemen, would you stand? Could we just give honor to these gentlemen tonight? Thank you, thank you, thank you, Brother Hurd, Brother Hurst. Thank you for your service. We're a blessed people. We're a blessed people. Hallelujah. Um, so back to that $100 bill. By chance, does anybody have a $100 bill with them tonight? You do? Can I borrow that? The question you need to ask is, how long do I want to borrow? I'll, I'll have to tell you a story on it. Okay. I, I found it. You found, oh my goodness. Well, the Lord worked this out. God surely had his hand on this illustration. I promise you that. <laughs> yeah, I just found one too, Brother Hurt. That's good. That's good. All right, on the front of this $100 bill, you see a picture of a very famous gentleman in the history of our nation. Anybody know what his name is? That's Benjamin Franklin. And um, he is, I believe, I could be mistaken, but I believe he is the only non-president that's on our paper money. And uh, Benjamin Franklin was just key in the formation of our country and, and so much of it. And he's on that side. On the back of it is Independence Hall and the words, In God We Trust, and, of course, the denomination of the amount of the bill. If I went to you and I gave you a bill and all it had was one side on it, and you tried to go into a store and spend that bill, and it only had the front side or the back side, but not the other, and they said, no, 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 this isn't right. There's supposed to be two sides to this bill. And you would say, no, no, it's okay. You can trust me. It really is a $100 bill. They are probably going to tell you, well, you go find some bank or somebody else that's willing to trade you for one that has both sides, and then we'll take your money. Because they're not going to take your money if the bill is not complete. It, it needs two sides to it. Y'all with me? And the, the strip in it, that's right. This is going to work good, this, okay? So when it comes to living for God... We need two sides. We need the external part of holiness. And we need the internal part of holiness. And we need that strip, which is the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Y'all give Brother Hurt a hand for being willing to take a chance tonight. 
It is so important that we have both sides of the, of the bill. We need the outward and we need the inward. If we don't have both, we do not have the real thing. If we do not have both, we do not have the real thing. And so when it comes to the subject of holiness, we have to be ready to deal with this very foundational apostolic issue. You cannot claim to be a part of the apostolic church if you do not embrace the apostolic doctrine. You say you're throwing that word apostolic out. What do you mean by that? When I say apostolic, I mean pertaining to the apostles. We preach what the apostles preached. We believe what the apostles believed. We experience what the apostles experienced. And a, a, a look through scripture will show us that this subject of holiness is no light subject in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it is one of the most oft-repeated subjects in all of Scripture. It is in the Old Testament. It is in the New Testament. It is uh, quoted from the Old Testament even in the New Testament. Somebody said, I don't believe in that Old Testament stuff. Then you don't believe in the whole counsel of God. Because the New Testament writers, Peter and Paul... And John would all reach back and quote the Old Testament. And not just quote the Old Testament, but quote the Old Testament on the subject of holiness. If it meant that much to the early church, it should mean the exact same thing to this church. Time does not negate the call for holiness. Years go by, but it does not negate the call for holiness. Centuries have gone by, but it has not negated the call for holiness. If it has not negated the call for repentance, if it has not negated the call for water baptism in the name of Jesus, if it has not negated the call for the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the evidence which is speaking with other tongues, then I tell you that it has not negated God's call to holiness. It was for them, but it is also for us. If you believe it, say amen. If you don't, hold on. I'm going to try to convince you. Though all it should take is the knowledge that you have been bought with a price. Amen. Um. We're dealing with both parts of this $100 bill. We're dealing with the outward and we are dealing with the inward. If we are not careful, we will fall prey to the same thing that wreaked havoc in the early church. In the early church, there was a man by the name of Nicholas. Nicholas, the Bible tells us, was a proselyte of Antioch. Uh, meaning he was converted from Antioch. And Nicholas became a significant part of that early church. Nicholas is somebody that was around in the days of the apostles. So when the church was still in its, I don't, 
I'm going to say fledgling status, but it was, it was already growing by leaps and bounds. It was strong. The Bible said it was multiplying, and the Lord was adding daily to the church such as should be saved. And while they're in that kind of environment, and God's church is growing, and it is being established, this church that Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. While this church is growing, they begin to have growing pains. Anybody here ever experienced growing pains? Anybody ever had your kids come crying in your bedroom in the middle of the night, whining about growing pains? I did it a couple of times, not very often. (laughs) Some of y'all did it much more than I did. I didn't grow very much. Um, this church, this apostolic church began to have some of these growing pains. And what is happening is the church is growing so large so quickly. And the apostles are trying to do everything. They're trying to do the preaching. They're trying to do the praying. They're trying to do the administrating. They're trying to do the organizing. All of these things And as this church is growing, they said, this is too much for us. We cannot do it by ourselves. So they determined that they would seek out seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. You can read about this in Acts chapter number 6. They would seek out seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And they laid hands on them. And they allowed these men to begin to deal with the serving of tables is how the scripture puts it. And what it really means is dealing with the administration of the early church and and taking care of things that needed to be taken care of um, that, that they wanted to give themselves to prayer and ministry of the word. And that's one of the main reasons I feel like a, a pastor's primary job is to give himself to prayer and ministry of the word. You want a pastor who is freed to do those things. We don't need pastors that are so caught up trying to do everything else that they can't devote time to prayer and ministry of the word of God. And I appreciate this church allowing me to do that and I appreciate our pastoral team that comes alongside of me and helps me to do that. And could we give them a hand tonight? So they bring these seven men in, they pray, they lay hands on them, they dispatch them for this cause. Now, the problem that they wound up experiencing is the problem that Jesus had experienced and that we are still experiencing in the apostolic church today. And that is that sometimes there are some people who fall away from God. Jesus called 12 to be very close to him. One of them, the Bible called the devil. Judas, I've heard this said before, it's very powerful. Judas had Jesus as a pastor and he still backslid. So don't think that who your pastor is... uh, automatically keeps you from backsliding or not backsliding. 
It really is a personal walk with God. Jesus had 12, even Judas backslid, and he had a lot of problems out of the other ones too. He had some of them saying, hey, Lord, would their mama brought them to him and said, hey, would you allow my sons, when you come into your kingdom, one of them sit on your right hand, one of them sit on your left. Am I in the book? All right. He had, he had one who couldn't control his temper and his tongue, and that was the apostle Peter. And, and they had murmuring in that group because Jesus heard it and rebuked them. They had all kinds of stuff happen in that little group of 12 men. So you better know you're going to have some of that in this modern day church too. All right. And, uh, and not only that, Jesus had crowds of hundreds that followed him. And he'd say a few things and they'd get upset and leave. All right, so understand, understand uh, that we're dealing with a, a, an issue that is as old as time itself, and that is that not everybody is going to do right. And so we pray, that's why we need to be in the book, that's why we need to be faithful to church. We've got to keep our spirits right. We good? All right, so then we get into this modern day and we have people that are struggling in the same way as that early church had, as Jesus had people struggle. And that, let's go back to that early church. They had those seven men. One of those seven was Nicholas, who they converted, they brought along from Antioch. Nicholas was such a fireball for Jesus. Nicholas was so uh, was such a leader in the early church before he was before he was an, or, an ordained leader, he had such a leadership ability about him that of all the thousands of people that were a part of the church, the disciples would choose him as one of seven. Folks, that's pretty impressive. He was one of multiplied thousands of people that were a part of the church. And he had, he had such an ability. There was such an, let me say this, there was such an anointing on his life. The Bible said he was full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. So they bring him into the fold. But the problem with Nicholas is not unlike the problems you and I have. And that is that if we are not careful... We begin to allow things to, to distract us and to pull us from our dedication to the things of God. And for him, his dedication to this apostolic message was not long lived. Nicholas eventually became a very high profile backslider. And he did not just backslide. But he did something, the devil used him, really. He allowed himself to be used by the devil. I wish we could, it would be nice if when people backslid, they would just backslide. And I'm not saying it would be nice for people to backslide. But if they're going to, for people to just walk away and say, I'm going to go after the pleasures of the world, and I know I'm not right with God, 
And I recognize that. I do remember a day when people would be that way. And there's still a few perhaps that are. But the problem we're dealing with today is nobody wants to say they're not right with God. So they try to justify themselves. And this is what Nicholas did. Nicholas did not want to admit that he was not right with God. I'm preaching holiness. Y'all just stay with me, okay? He did not want to admit he, wouldn't, he was not right with God. And so what he did is he began to establish his own version of the church. He has what the Lord will eventually call the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Meaning those who follow Nicholas's doctrine. His doctrine came about as a reaction to the legalism of the Judaizers. Now, Paul had to give us an entire book in the Bible called the book of Galatians that he wrote in response to people who were stuck in legalism. The book of Galatians is written to a church that has tried to, they, they tried to mix the gospel of Jesus Christ with the law of Moses. Because they had been brought up in the law of Moses. They had a hard time receiving the revelation that Jesus Christ had fulfilled the law. Are you all with me? I'm doing really good teaching tonight, just so you know. I know it. <laughs> they, had, they, they had taken that Mosaic law, they, they, they struggled to let go of it and believe that Jesus had indeed fulfilled the law, but they still wanted to hold on to the gospel that Jesus had been preaching. And they, what they attempted to do was to marry the two together. And so what that, what that produced was a perverted version of the gospel. And this is the Judaizers. This is, this is a very legalistic view. And it, what it means is, and we've still got some of these people around today, by the way. If you ever get to hearing somebody say, well, you've got to worship only on this day. Or you've got to do this. Or you've got to... Uh, and, 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 and they're outside the Word of God. You need to pay attention to what I'm teaching right now because these people do exist today. And they said, well, you've got to keep this feast and you've got to keep that feast and you've got to keep this and, and, and you've got to be sacrificing some, th- some, some animals and, and you've, got to, uh, you've got to observe these holy days and this holy day and that holy day and, and you've got to make sure that uh, you're not eating this. And, and they, they go down a list of things. And the only things from the Old Testament Mosaic Law that still apply to us today is those aspects of the law that are, that are part of the moral law of God, which has to do with His morality, which can never change. If God hated murder back then, He hates murder today. And so there are some things where the Bible says it is an abomination to the Lord. And if the Bible says that it is an abomination unto the Lord, then that means if God ever did hate it, He still hates it. You understand this with me? But these other aspects, the civil and the ceremonial aspects of the law, have been fulfilled 
in Jesus Christ. They all were pointing toward Jesus Christ. But he gave us. Pentecost is no longer a day. Pentecost now is an experience. It's something that we actually enter into. It's not just a day that we can go to a festival and say we've experienced Pentecost. No, Pentecost happens within us now. And so you had, you had this group of people. And Nicholas was so against that doctrine, which was a damnable doctrine. Okay? Nicholas was so against that doctrine. And Paul gives us a whole book in Galatians where he refutes that doctrine. Nicholas came out here and said, no, y'all are so far off base. He said, you don't have to keep any of the... Matter of fact... Nicholas went so far, he erred on the other side. And Nicholas said, there is no civil law, and there is no ceremonial law, and now there is no moral law. And he did away with all of it. So now the Ten Commandments had no effect. And now the things that pertain to the nature of God had no effect. And so he, they had lost it in that ditch, he lost it in this ditch. And the age-old adage is still true, folks, that there really are two ditches to every road. And, and he begins to bring to his followers, the people who follow him, because the Bible said that they would heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. What that means is that they will People who want to will always find somebody who will tell them what they want to hear. And so when Nicholas started saying, you don't have to live holy. And you don't have to separate yourself from the world. And you can involve yourself in the things that the Bible calls sin. It sounded really good to some people. They said, so you're telling me that if I'll just, that if I'll just obey the gospel... And, and go, get, go repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Ghost. Then I can go live however I want to live. And Nicholas said, that's exactly what I'm telling you. But I am going to raise my voice tonight to tell you that Nicholas was a false prophet. And that doctrine sent people then straight to a devil's hell. And it will still send people straight to a devil's hell. When you get to the book of Revelation... Jesus Christ himself compares the Nicolaitans to Balaam from the Old Testament. The Bible said Balaam was that one who cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Let me read to you Revelation chapter 2, verses 4. Let me back up to verse number 12. This is what Jesus says, okay? Everybody say, Jesus said it. To the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, 
because thou hast there them. And he said, you have in your church those that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak. Balaam was the false prophet. Balak was the heathen king. He, the false prophet showed the heathen king how to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I, I hate it. Jesus said he hated it. Verse 16. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so, if you look back at this, Jesus says there's some good things in this church, but there's some things I'm very unhappy with. Matter of fact, some things I hate in your church. He said, I know your works. I know the good things you've done. You better be careful before you think you can just be saved by the good things you do. I don't care how many homeless meals you cook, that don't save you. I don't care how many, uh, how many uh, Thanksgiving baskets you put together, that will never save you. I don't care how, how pure in heart you think you are, that will not save you. That would be works. Are you all with me? Because people who want to blast us for works, they want to say it works is what we say we're, when we wear something holy. They want to call that works. Works is more about what you're doing. And these people who think that they're doing stuff that earns their salvation, it's works and it's, it's not, it, it does not bring your salvation. Works follow our salvation. They do not introduce us to salvation. He said, I know your works and I know where you live. You are even where Satan's seat is. Isn't it amazing that Satan set up his seat in the place where people were trying to mix godliness with worldliness? Y'all better hear me. I feel like I could go two or three hours tonight. If you'll hear me, maybe we won't. Satan set up his seat. He put his, he put his main place of operation to be in a place where people were trying to take the, 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 the gospel and they were trying to take worldliness and pull the two together. And he said, that's where I'm going to, to establish myself. I want to tell you right now that when we do the same, when we try to take our worship and we try to take our new birth and we try to take a move of God that we have in this place and mix it with worldliness we are setting ourselves up for Satan to rule in our lives and I want to preach against it in the name of Jesus tonight I want to combat that in the name of Jesus there is no place for that there is no room for that. We've got to be a people who are all or nothing. God help me to give you all. Help me to give you all. This is what the Lord means about Balaam and Nicholas. Balaam was unsuccessful. The king Balak had hired him. He said, come in here and curse God's people for me. 
And he got up and he started to try to curse them. But instead, God put a blessing in his mouth. And he could not curse what God had blessed. He'd open up his mouth and blessing would come out. The Lord spoke to him through a donkey. Said, don't go do this. He kept trying to push his way through. He was merchandising. He was wanting to, to gain filthy lucre off of, this, off of his position as a prophet. He was supposed to have been a prophet of God. And he was because the Lord spoke to and through him. But even a prophet of God can get wrong in their spirit. And so, we're doing all right tonight, aren't we? And so, when, when he could not curse the people of God, he said, King, I tell you what, I can't do what you're asking me to do. It is impossible for me to curse this people because anytime I try, God won't let me do it. But I can tell you what you could do that will accomplish the same thing you're wanting me to do. We can't curse them. But if you'll send your women in there to them and get them to marry your daughters and your sons to marry their daughters and if you'll mix that church, can I call it that? If you'll mix that church with your, with your worldliness and you'll bring the two together, what is going to happen is that these people that don't embrace what they embrace are going to begin to have an effect on them. And they'll raise a generation that is torn in two. And they're trying to have the best of both worlds. They may say they worship the one true living God. But while they're trying to worship the one true living God, they're outliving however they want to live. And if you'll do that, you can bring about their destruction. And God was infuriated by it. Because the Lord hates it for His people to be torn apart with false doctrine. And He said what Nicholas has brought to the church is the same thing that Balaam tried to bring to the church. And are y'all with me? And so it began to wreak such havoc in that early church. They mixed godliness with worldliness. You can read about it in Numbers 22 through 25. They could not be cursed by Balaam. So instead they cursed themselves from within. And it's that spirit that was behind the doctrine of Nicholas. He declared that Christians, since they were sinners saved by grace, could live like the world on the outside and still remain saved on the inside. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is error. It is heresy. And it is not truth. Since his teaching required for there to be no change in order to be saved, they attracted large numbers of followers. People from pagan religions and people from a lukewarm church all came to follow him. And his, his message to the true apostolic church was, 
Why would you live in legalism and bondage of holiness and sanctification when you can be free from all of those things? Nicholas violated truth. He violated apostolic teaching on sanctification, which we've got more about that in Scripture than you could shake a stick at. He started doing away with the Word of God. And when he did, he caused havoc. I'm up here preaching like I'm preaching tonight and teaching this series like I'm teaching it because we've got to make sure that we don't let worldliness get into our godliness. We cannot take that which is of the world and bring it in here and expect the blessing of God. Listen to this. The Lord, when he was telling them, he said, he said, you held fast my name. This, this backsliding church. He said, you've held fast my name. I heard somebody say, well, you know, they don't believe in, in, in standards of holiness anymore, but they still baptize in Jesus' name. And I know I'm online, and, and a lot of people can see this, but I want to say it. They don't believe in, 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 in standards or outward holiness anymore, but they still baptize in Jesus' name. I don't care. That is doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And I'll say it as strong as I can. That is a damnable doctrine. And I'll be honest with you, I'd rather somebody go out and live like a devil and say they're living like a devil than to try to say, well, I still baptize in Jesus' name. I just don't believe that other stuff. Because now they're trying to justify and say that they're on the same level as those that are saved in Christianity. But you are not. And I don't care how many times you want to say you are. It won't change the fact that there is one Lord. And there is one faith. And there is one baptism. And we are to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. You say you're getting worked up. I am getting worked up. Because if we don't have this, we don't have an apostolic church. This has got to be a holy church. It's got to be holiness on the inside. Holiness on the outside. It's got to be a church that is striving for the things of God. Come on and praise Him with me. Praise Him. We Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. Hallelujah. You say, well, how do you know the apostles taught stuff about how we looked and all of that? Because we are given not one, not two, not three, but many scriptures. Where we are shown a standard of apostolic holiness in lifestyle. And in the scripture, it includes standards of dress. It includes hair. It includes activities they participated in. It includes codes of conduct and how we are. You can read it in Romans 6. You can read it in Romans 12. You can read it in 1 Thessalonians 4. You can read it in 1 Timothy 2. You can read it in Hebrews 12. You can read it in 1 Peter 1. And you can read it on and on and on and on. Nicholas taught 
that these externals of holiness were not important. And you better believe that Nicholas is still teaching. These externals of holiness are not important. And I am not here. I do want to pause here long enough to say I'm not here to try to be mean to you. The reason I'm raising my voice and I'm getting worked up like I am is because I believe this is so important that if we neglect this so great of a salvation that we will lose our place in the kingdom of God. And I don't want anybody to go to hell. I don't want anybody that I pastor to not be right with God. So i got to preach it with passion. And I've got to preach it with you knowing how important it is. Not just to me, but to this church. This is a core part of our identity. And if this church ever goes the way of Nicholas, this church will find another pastor. Because I am not going to pastor a church that doesn't long for the things of God. I'm going to try to preach it to you. I'll do it with as much love as I can. I think everybody in here knows how I love you. I try to err on the side of mercy as much as I possibly can. But every once in a while, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to look you in the eye and tell you this matters. And tonight, I say to you, this matters. Clap your hands and give God praise. I'm almost done. This matters. It absolutely matters. So in that falling away of the early church, an outward standard of holiness was the first thing to go. And that was followed by repentance. And that was followed by water baptism. In Jesus' name. And that was followed by speaking in tongues. And followed by gifts of the Spirit. It was followed by true apostolic doctrine. And if you think you're the exception. You are sadly mistaken. If you think... That you're the exception that can handle letting go of standards. But hold on to oneness and new birth. You're mistaken. They'll do it for a little while. But it won't be long and it'll give way to something else. And that church began to be so affected that it became a Roman Catholic church. And it became a backslidden church. And it became a church that started saying kinds of things like this. You could go pray to a saint or you could pay some money and it would take care of any of the sin issues in your life. It brought in idolatry and it brought in merchandising of the gospel. That is not the gospel that Jesus preached. We are so blessed that we live in the time of this Latter-day, in-time outpouring of the Holy Ghost. When truth has been brought again to the forefront. When the outpouring of the Holy Ghost was so strong in the 20th century. That Time Magazine would say it was one of the most important events that happened in the 20th century. When people are now across the world, more people are talking in tongues than have ever talked in tongues before. But I say to you, 
just because somebody talks in tongues does not mean that they've let go of that doctrine of the Nicolaitans. That's why we've got to be so careful. We've got to guard this thing. And those walls and gates that I preached about that Nehemiah wept over, you better make sure you have them. You better have some walls and you better have some gates. You better have walls that don't let anything in. And you better have gates that know what can come in and what needs to be going out. And there needs to be a spirit of conviction fall on us that says, God, whatever needs to come in, bring it in. And whatever needs to go out, help me to get it out. Help me get out anything in my life that's not right. I want to get it out. I want to get it out. If there's any bad attitude in me, I want to get it out. If there's any, if there's any external part of holiness that I'm, not, that I'm purposefully not embracing, I want to get that out. I don't want it in my life. I don't want it in my family. I don't want it in my home. I don't want it in this church. Now, this church is always going to be a church in process. There's always going to be people that are coming closer to God. So I pray as long as I'm pastor of this church, there is a constant look of people in process around here. And, we're, and, and it's not your job to try to tell them how quick to get there. If anybody's going to do that that's a man, it'll be this man. It won't be you. And if you can't trust me, then, then you find a, a pastor you can trust. And let me just say this. There's things I deal with sometimes that some of you have no clue about. And, 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 and I've had people come to me on both sides. They thought somebody was pharisaical. And they thought somebody was, was, was completely worldly. And sometimes they don't know that I'm trying to walk with both of them and get them through it. So give me a little bit of, of time and give the Lord some time. And pray with me that we can get people where they need to be. But folks... Let's not push people out of the kingdom if we can help it. The day will come when God will demand a verdict, but He's the one that demands the verdict, not me. I'm going to reach as long as I can reach. I'm going to pray as long as I can pray. And I'm going to show mercy as long as I can show mercy. And I wish the whole church would get up on their feet right now to affirm that. We want to be a church that, that saves People, we want to be a church that saves people. Remain standing with me. We're not going to join them on either side. I'm not going with the Judaizers, and I'm not going with the Nicolaitans. I'm going with Peter and James and John and Bartholomew, and I'm going with the Apostles. I'm going with the Apostle Paul, and that's where I'm going to stand. I'm not standing with some guy that the Lord said, I hate what he preaches. And I'm not standing with some group that the Apostle Paul said, i got to write a whole book about it because they got so many people messed up. I'm standing with those who stood on the side of righteousness and what is true. Help us, Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, eternity is forever. And the Lord wasn't messing around when he told us that he would come as a thief in the night. 
I'll probably be preaching about it on Sunday. God wasn't messing around when he said the day would come. And it would come like a thief in the night. No man would know the day and no man would know the hour. He said, all I'm going to tell you is you better give it everything you got. And you better give it all that you can at all times. Because you don't know when I'm coming back for my church. And so that's why we preach like we preach around here. And that's why we reach like we reach around here. Because we want, we want to make it to heaven. We're not interested in doing this to try to fulfill some list and checklist of, of rules. That's not why we do this, folks. We're not trying to fulfill a checklist. We are trying to be holy as He is holy. And thank God that Scripture gave us plenty of material so that we would know what things God wanted us to do in the ways of holiness. And I say one last thing before I get into the specifics next time. I'll say one last thing, and that is this. Um, and I've got my glasses off right now, so I can't see none of y'all, all right? But I'm going to preach what the Bible says. And I'm going to draw lines where the Bible draws lines. And, and, and I'm not going to... I, I, I believe in respecting traditions. And I believe in, in honoring heritage, all right? So we're going to do that. But I also know some people who their tradition was you can't drink coffee. And I know some of y'all are laughing out there, but it's, I'm not kidding. Some people said that was sin to drink coffee. Some people said, ladies, if you wore your hair down, you were a sinner. Because the Bible said your hair is given to you for a covering, so you had to wear it on top of your head. And then some other people said, if you wore it on top of your head, you were a sinner. Because the Bible said, doth not nature itself teach you, so you have to let it hang down. So the Bible, you, you, just, you just trust me when I tell you, I'm going to preach it the way the Bible lays it out. All right? Our hair, and, and just so no, there's no misunderstanding, ladies, I do believe your hair needs to be uncut. All right, But whether you wear it on top of your head or you wear it down, I'm not going to draw a conclusion there. All right, If you want to drink coffee, you drink coffee. I'm not going to draw lines on stuff that I cannot feel comfortable drawing lines. So don't try to bully me or push me into doing something that you might have a personal conviction about if as pastor I don't feel like it is a church conviction. But neither... Try to bully me or pressure me or push me to not preach what is true. Because you don't want to do it. I'm going to preach it. And I'm going to live for it. And God's going to raise this church up as a mighty apostolic church. You haven't even, you haven't even seen the surface scratch of what God's going to do in our city. And in our region through the ministry of this church. If we will embrace what I'm preaching tonight, there is no limit to what God will do and how God will reach. Shout to the Lord and give God praise. And now put your hand on the shoulder of the one beside you and let us pray together that a spirit of holiness would envelop us, that we would fall in love with holiness, true Bible holiness. <coughs>
true Bible holiness. Let's fall in love with it, God. I pray, God, our hearts would be open to it. I pray worldliness would not influence us. I pray that personal opinion would not influence us. But I pray that your word would have free course in our hearts and in our lives. I pray, God, we would grab a hold of what is true holiness. We would refuse to let it go for anything else. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I hope I haven't messed any up too bad tonight. I think I've been pretty clear. And I think I'm, I know I'm going to back that up. I don't think, I know I'm in the book. I know I'm in the book. I wouldn't preach it with such passion if I wasn't in the book. That's how much I believe what I'm preaching. Amen. It was a good night. I felt the Lord in this place tonight. We're a holy people. We we came from holy people. We're going to continue to be a holy people. Don't let anything get you off Bible holiness. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. I'm sorry I went a little bit longer, but I but I'm not sorry. So. All right. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.